I have Ruth here. And again, before I introduce her, uh, her dad, Joe Addis, uh, sold on the streets of um, New York. Uh, this peeler, which is very dear to me because I first saw this being sold back in 1988 uh, by one of my neighbors at the Perth Royal Show. And uh, and mm -hmm. I brought a sample back. And because it kind of conflicted with uh, uh, another business I was doing with the slicer and, uh, and the peeler, I gave this to my friend Jeff. And Jeff, coincidentally enough, was also a gentleman and with not a hair out of place. And he sold this until he passed away years ago. And then, of course, it came back into my possession and I, I sold it for years. Uh, Joe Addis uh, is a legend in the business uh, from 19 in the 90s. He sold this on the streets of New York City. Uh, and I mean, to call him a street vendor would be an insult because your dad was so much more than that. He was a showman uh, and he modeled himself, you know, back when he was 15 years old, I believe, Manchester, England. He dropped mm -hmm. out of school. He was the, uh, I believe he was the son of uh, uh, the seventh son or seven sons of a widow. Seventh child, yeah, seventh, seventh child. child. And uh, so he quit school, worked in some firm, and they sent him to go post a letter. Joe saw uh, at this bomb site, I think, uh, uh, mm -hmm. that this market sprung up. And he was watching all these guys, of course, a lot older than himself, pitching their wares from jewelry to eyeglass cleaner to, to so many things. And, uh, and, and he looked at him and goes, he was amazed because he went, they're showmen. And... And that and that took your dad on a journey that lasted right up until the day he passed, which I believe was uh, February third, was it? Two thousand nine. February first. Yes, February two thousand nine. Yeah, my happy birthday. Well, I've been following Joe for years on YouTube. I've read about him in Vanity Fair. You can as well. You can look him up. I have with me Ruth Addis, the daughter of Joe. And uh, I am so glad you've taken this time. Thank you to talk about your dad. It's a pleasure. My favorite subject to talk about. So. I can only imagine. <laughs> I can, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty, I can only imagine him at a dinner table. You know, to, tell me, tell me what it was right. to have dinner with your dad. So, well, I'll tell you a funny story. Not long after. Um, the Vanity Fair piece came out. So the man who wrote that piece, Har um, Howard Kaplan, his name is, um, he had, he knew the owner of, um, of Van the, the, you know, yeah, the, the publisher of Vanity Fair. And he also, I'm trying to remember his name now. Anyway, it'll come to me. Um, he also had a, um, a, a part in a restaurant, very, very busy popular restaurant in the village around the corner from where I live called the village inn and anyway he um it, and all the celebrities came and even to be able to make a a reservation um there was no there was like a private phone number it was all very exclusive so Howard arranged for a dinner there and we're all like, look, so I think there were probably about five or six of us having dinner. And he loved good restaurants, my dad. And, you know, I remember he ordered Dover Soul. So um, he, so we're like looking for celebrities, you know. Yeah. And 
people are coming into the restaurant and they're all like looking at my dad. It was so funny. Like he was, because he was such a familiar face, yes. you know, around New York. Cause he didn't, you know, he didn't just work at the green market uh, union square. He worked all over. He worked in Brooklyn. He worked downtown near the uh, city hall. Um, he worked midtown. His um, favorite phrase about working, the, especially the street, was he loved the glorious uncertainty of it. Yes. Because he'd walk out every day with no idea what would happen to him. You know, there could be days when he'd like struggle, he'd keep getting moved by the cops all day long. Yes. And then finally, you know, he'd sit there and, and like take, I don't know, $500 in an hour or something, you know. There were other days when when he'd get nicked, he'd get arrested, you know, and then have to go the next morning to court and 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 um, end up being fined, which by the way, he just considered so the rent, rent you know, so that was rent. So he loved, he was a great storyteller. Um, and loved to tell stories about graft and and about what he'd done. Um, he was deaf in one ear, and as he used to say, "I'm deaf in one ear, can't hear out the other." So in in some situations, you know, he couldn't hear so well. Um, but he had a, a after you know a few a few glasses of red wine, you know, he <laughs> would become um, you know quite vociferous. And that's what, you know, the, the last thing that he ever wanted when he sold in the street was for anybody to feel sorry for him. You know, the, it was never anything like that. And again, that he got from his peers in, in England, like they all, they all dress beautifully. Yes. You know, all the, all the grafters, all the street traders, they'd, they'd put a suit and tie, good overcoat on, you know. Um, and go to work or not, or go to the betting shop or, <laughs> you know, and it was, um, it, and the other thing was they, because there, there was always this competition and race between them and, and the bobbies, the cops, yes. you know, it always made them feel better, you know, to be, um, or, and really superior to, you know, the, these cops who, you know, who who arrested them and then went home and ate, you know, egg and chips for dinner while they'd be eating in, you know, the Savoy restaurant, you know, the, the restaurant of the Savoy. So, and that book um, lays out beautifully a kind of hierarchy of street workers too. Yes. So, you know, you have the, um, the fruit and veg workers, you know, and then you have the grafters and you, uh, you know, there was a whole, um, a whole list. Um, and and he he gave me a copy of it, and he wrote the in, in, an inscription in it, and just wrote, you know, you'll you'll find me on page thirty two. You know? I I know what the first few things were. Um, I know that he sold a shopping bag, a string shopping bag, and to demonstrate the strength of this string shopping bag, you you fill it up with cans. You yes. know, peas and fruit or whatever, <laughs> and all the punters thought that he was selling cans of fruit. Right. <laughs> like yeah. But the um, so when he first went to work, the people who most caught his attention were the old, the old runout workers. Yes. As you call the jam, the jam workers. Uh, yes, the jam auctioneers. Yeah, and and that's what really um fascinated him because. 
it was so much about about the language. I have to uh, just aren't familiar because uh, the jam auctioneers or the uh, the confidence game, as it was known back in the day as well, um, is totally you won't see it anymore. It's it's against the law. Um, but back in, and when I first got into this business, there was Freddie Hunter and Jack Hunter, and there was Nick, and there was a lot of these um, people that would do a pitch. It was like a, uh, a truck would show up, or it was a closed door auction on Young Street, we had it. And, uh, and what they did is they built your confidence up. And an example of that would be they would ask how many people in the crowd smoke, and uh, people would put up their hands because back then everybody smoked. And then they would take lighters and say, if, you know, here, open your bag, have a lighter, have a lighter, have one, they're free. Have, and they're just building your confidence. And then they would they'd start selling you things. But with the kind of the guys of you were going to get either some of it or all of it back. Right. And uh, so your dad was that when I found out this, which is just recently, I gained a whole new uh, other respect for him because that is the, I mean, that is is a pitch amongst pitchmen, you know, and again, your dad uh, was, he was a, he was a grafter, he was a stroker, he was a barker, he was a pitchman, he was a showman, but to be a jam auctioneer, tell me what you know about that. Yeah, so, well, he, um, he worked the jam on all, all different kinds of settings, he worked off, off trucks and markets, um, they rented halls back then. This is in the fifties. Hand out leaflets to get people in. That was like the, um, you know, the way of, of pitch getting back then. Uh, and then there were also the shops, and and they'd usually rent the shop for a few months at a time because eventually they always go crooked, and so they they work with very short leases. And he worked all over, all over. Um, the, the whole British Isles, actually, because he worked Ireland as well. And then he went to Australia. So he went to Australia uh, the end in 69. And that was really when I, I mean, he used to tell me about the run out when, when I was little. And I kind of understood it even back then, you know. And, you know, and he told it with all kinds of humor and, and just the, the mischief of it and, and the brilliance. And, and I kind of got it. Yes. And then when we went to Australia, he went to Australia first and, and worked the runner. It had never been seen before in Australia. Yes. So it was like, you know, it was like the streets were paved with gold. And, and he worked a, a run of um, of shows and fairs all the way up the uh, along the Barrier Reef, up that Queensland coast. And then we came back and he then had a shop in King's Cross in Sydney. And this was a gold mine um, because King's Cross was like, was like a mini Times Square. Everybody used to come to King's Cross eventually. Uh, foreign tourists, um, tourists from the tiniest little sheep shearing towns in, in Australia. And they'd come with pockets full of money because they had no, nothing to spend it on, you know. And, you know, and it was um, a small shop. Actually, I just walked by it just last week because I was in Sydney and, yes. you know, I saw the, the place where it was. And so about two thirds of the way into uh, a, a run out pitch, um, you have everybody in and, and you've kind of sifted through who's going to be a likely punter and and who you know maybe maybe wise to it and you know and so 
there's a method called um, the nailer. So you use the nailer to nail them in and then the doors are closed and then you'd go to work on 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 who was left. Of, of course, you know, the, the wheat, are the you know, they're, they're the lucky ones, the privileged ones who are going to be part and parcel of the propaganda proceedings. He sold on markets. Um, he sold a lot of bedding. Okay. as well and he loved selling it like textile you know towels and sheets and and uh bedspreads and and all of that and he would sell um you know mounted i think i guess off the side of a truck and so yeah he sold bedding um he also had a couple of shops he, he didn't always work crooked tools you know he worked i mean for him the peeler was the straightest tool he ever worked and kind of laughed about the fact that you know, the, the last thing that, that he sold, it was almost with the run out, like the main goal is to leave leave it sweet for yeah. there to be no no noises, no knocks at the end of it. Yes. And really at the end of his life with the peeler, he left it sweet. Yes. Yes. You know, and, and left people like happy with what they'd got. It was um 1987. And in the the so I was at Columbia University at the time I was studying so you know what do you what do you do on your summer vacation the previous years I'd go and 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 shill for my dad who was working um a 20 pound lot of jewelry outside Harrods which yeah. you know was I mean just talk about glorious uncertainty yes. <laughs> <laughs> um and just a little side thing here there's an official photograph of Harrods, uh, not a photograph, a postcard of Harrods. And sure enough, there's my dad sitting in the doorway. And you can see, you can pick out Darkie Pat, his name was, his outside man, and a bunch of um, Irish gypsies who sold the Heather, who he was friends with, you know, Heather Fearlock. Heather. But anyway, that's a side thing. So... 1987, summer comes along. Okay, Dad, I've got my job as usual. He says, no, this year you're going to you're gonna have your own firm. So he organized, I think, four shills and a couple of lookouts. One of the lookouts was cross-eyed, actually, as I remember. And I was working perfume. We call it the Funkum in, in England. And, and it was four bottles of perfume, um, they, they weren't like knockoffs. They were just, they had fancy names, you know, Maison de Lenclos, whatever. Um, and, and sold four out, out of um, cardboard boxes on the floor. And it was four for 10 pounds. And I was, you know, down at the bottom rung. There were street traders all up and down Oxford Street. And I was, you know, the newcomer. So I had like the crappy end of Oxford Street. Anyway, but anyway, so I've says to dad, you know, like before um, when when he called me, he says, no, you'll, you know, you have your own firm. And, and I said, but dad, I'll get arrested. And he's just going, oh, you'll get used to it. <laughs> wow. So I went back to work and that evening, you know, we'd all, all the grafters would meet in a pub in the George in, in, uh, in London in the West End. Yes. And he said, you know, it's the, now you know the worst thing that can happen to you. Right. And leave it outside. He'd go in the bathroom, scrub his hands, you know, because all the, the potato peelings. And he always um, he always carried a clothes brush in, in the bag because there'd be all, you know, potato juice and, sure. and carrot, you know, bits of carrot, you yes. know, all over his suit. So he'd like shave... <laughs> 
you know, brush off the suit and everything, give his shoes a bit of a brush. He always wore sneakers, by the way, as well. He wore these, you know, thousand, two thousand dollar Chester Barry suits from London with a pair of New Balance sneakers because, you know, he'd be walking miles. And in London, it was like, you know, run, literally running away from the cops. I mean, he'd get the up from the lookout and it'd be, you know, down in the tube station or, you know, running into, uh, you know, whatever doorway or whatever, you know, it was, it was fun and games. It was, it was all fun, <laughs> fun and games. Good time. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yeah. You, you, uh, you yourself, uh, cause he left you as part of your inheritance. He left you how many cases? He left me 40 cases of peelers. 40 cases with yeah. 500 in each case. And I had never worked the peeler. I was I was a bit, in, you know, I'd worked the chamois for years, you know, I'd worked, you know, I'd worked the pens. What else did I work? I tried to work the slicer and, and you know, use. I was useless on the slicer. The iron I'd worked, you know, a few other, but I, I, I loved the chamois. The chamois was my favorite. I loved it. And worked with, I worked with some of the best in, in the country. Yes. And um, but the the peeler also was so much his personality, you know, and his his whole, you know, the way he presented himself. And it was like a package almost. But he used to say to me, oh, you've got to you've got to work the peeler. He says, you know, like I'll work one plot, you work the other, you know, and you just sit, sit in the kitchen with a bucket and a pile of potatoes and just practice, you know, and you'll be fine. And I, yeah, dad, you know, anyway, when he when he died, I mean, I think a week after I went down to Union Square, my brother was here yes. and he came down as well. And I kind of, you know, I did practice with a bucket. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, the first couple of pitches, I've like dropped the potato. And all I can see is my dad looking down, like, you know, like, pick right. out, you know, you've got to hold it properly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I took to it pretty quickly um but I was at that time you know I, I had three kids in school and uh you know I couldn't afford to get arrested every you know every so often although I did one day from Union Square I I went they, they didn't let me work on the on the green market for a for a time so I was on the street and uh sure enough the um the Alpha Squad who are the New York City um squad specifically for street street vendors and uh, yeah, they nicked me. They took me in the van. And again, they knew, they knew dad. They said, don't worry, don't worry. We'll take you in. We won't keep you long. We know, you know, you're wow. his daughter. And, oh, wow. that and is... then I'm supposed to pick the kids up from school. Yes. Well, I'm sure your dad looked down upon that day. It was <laughs> so proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think he would have been. And and every word, you know, like I, I would always imagine. And the thing about my dad, what that made that he taught me too, really, is you know, about pitching. And every good pitchman knows this, is that you never stop thinking about what you're doing. Right. And you think every single word, there's a reason for every word, every action, every pause. Yes. You know, there's a reason for it. And he say, know, know why you're doing it, you yes. know? Yes. And, no, and yeah. a good, a good showman like your, your dad. I mean, the, your dad disliked as I disliked as any good pitchman or showman would just like being called, gee, you're a great salesman because yeah. I, from, from when I was little, I never wanted to be in sales to this day. I right. 
want to be in sales. But I look at like a salesman would say, for example, it's raining outside. And not to take anything away from being a really good salesman, you know, like all, kudos to them. They're great salesmen and they, they deserve all the accolades. But a showman will say, it's raining outside, you know. Right, or exactly. It's more of a play in miniature with beginning, middle, end, you know. Absolutely, and, it's theater. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of my pet peeves is when uh, when a pitchman says, like I said before, and mm. like if you said it before, why are you saying it again? And yeah. why are you telling people you're saying it again? Yeah. So yeah. like you said, each word, each uh, sentence has to be choreographed and right. there has to be a reason for it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That's why I was such awe of your dad, because he was a true, true showman. Yeah, yeah, he was. And and especially this the street, because with this street, you're so you're not vulnerable, but you have to, you know, use every skill. And and another really important thing, you know, that there seems to be a kind of tendency with let's say amateur salesmen and women um to say you know to to start shouting to try and get attention you know and, and he was no you you work you work with your head you start off you pull the pitch with your head down and you work quietly yes. you know and you work down you sit down you yes. don't stand up you sit down and so you're creating a mystery and you're creating curiosity exactly yes exactly. well so I, all of those so so many so I many Every video I've watched, every special was it Inside Edition? There was somebody else that did a, a story on him, but I've seen so many documentaries on him and and Vanity Fair articles and stuff. So there's plenty yeah. there for people. Joe Addis, you Google it, and there's plenty, plenty to, to watch. And it really is fascinating. Your dad was a legend, Ruth. I want to thank you for taking. It's a time. pleasure. And it's a pleasure to talk to you, Larry, and hear your stories as well. We so. have uh, so many mutual friends that I, I think right. should mention Maggie Mullen, one of my dearest, oldest friends in the business. Right, dear, and, dear uh, friend. And Liana, of course. Liana, of course. Liana, I love. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, and Wally Nash, who I know you knew from. Yeah, I haven't seen Wally for years, but we used to. Well, when I announced that I was going to be doing this, it's amazing how many came out of the woodwork and actually spoke. I mean, a lot of people will watch my videos without saying anything, but it's amazing how many people came out and go, let me know when, let me know what Ruth is talking. <laughs> and uh, so well, I've been looking forward to it. I'm flattered. That's lovely. Ruth, That's thank lovely. you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And maybe we'll meet in person. Uh, come, yeah. come, come down to New York. Actually, I have cousins in Toronto. Well, yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks again, Ruth. Bye. Pleasure. Bye.